0: forgot what a treat it was, it is to watch uh, Stephen Oxley praising God in that uh, opening hymn, thanks for both of those, Uh, praising, it says, the God of grace, and then your second choice, David, and thanks for both of them, uh, the God who saved my soul, and it's actually kind of going to be a theme that we get to uh, in enjoying Psalm 19 together, we're going to read Psalm 19 in just a moment. Uh, Ephesians 1 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And that's where we want to get to today. Psalm 19 begins with a statement of wonderful glory, the glory of God, seen in his creation. We're going to give thought to that in just a moment. But I just was struck enjoying the singing to the praise uh, of the God of grace, that what we're going to be looking at is the God of glory. And that Ephesians 1 links those two thoughts to the praise of the glory of his grace. What a God we have. Let's enjoy just reading through Psalm 19 together. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterance is to the end of the world. In them he placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true uh, and righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a joy to read through uh, the psalmist's consideration of the glory of God seen in, his, in God's creation, and then uh, to consider uh, that glory in God's word. I'm going to look at this psalm in two sets uh, of those verses, but just as, a, as an overview, as an appreciation of what this is saying to us, it immediately strikes us that the glory of God is seen by everyone. There's not a language, not a land, not a place in the whole world where God's glory has not permeated. It's reached everyone. And as Romans 1 says, it leaves us without excuse uh, to know that, that there is a God. The psalmist says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so we begin with this thought that Psalm 19 describes to us the absolute guarantee that God exists and that his handiwork, the fingerprint of God, is on all of his creation. God has touched the expanse of heaven. Uh, the word tells us that God measured out or stretched out the, the span of the heavens with the, the span of or the measure of the heavens with the span of his hand. And I love the thought that, in a sense, God has touched every piece of his creation. We can look at every aspect of it and see the glory of God in that. And it leaves men without an excuse. Uh, But this song goes on then to speak about God's word. And that leaves us us without excuse as well. So I just wanted to give a a quick overview of thought of the progression of this, that as the heavens declare the glory of God and leave every human without excuse to believe in God, uh, we can sometimes easily jump onto Psalm 19, and 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 it's good to do this, and appreciate that God has spoken in clarity to describe, to show himself, his unseen uh, attributes in the things that he's, he's made, so that he is clearly seen. We jump on that as a, a sort of, um, I say it carefully, I suppose, as a condemnation to atheism that no one's... No one should be able to believe that there is no God because of the things that God has made and his fingerprint. But this psalm then describes God's word to us. Atheists have to choose to not believe in God, to doubt the creator in the face of his creation. We can choose, can't we, to doubt God's word. That's where I want to get to today, is the certainty, the sure certainty of the word of God, a place we must get we must have as a as rock solid foundation in our lives, in our churches, in our teaching, that the word of God is uh, absolute. It's true. It's without error. A- and it's not a, um, a thing that is for society. It's for God describing himself to us and his relationship to us. So this is not a thing that changes with culture or changes with society. What God said in the beginning is God's word and it's still true for us. We can doubt God's word. It's actually a problem that's existed and has plagued humankind since the very beginning when Satan came into the Garden uh, of Eden and said, has God said? And he introduced doubt uh, to the glorious word of God. And that doubt has run through mankind since the very beginning to doubt what God has actually said and the veracity, the truth of it. And just as Satan did uh, in God's first covenant relationship with man, where man fell from God's glory, when Adam sinned and fell short of the glory of God, which we're going to be looking at in Psalm 19, the immense height of the glory of God, Adam and Eve fell from that glory. And Satan uh, tried again with the second Adam, just as he had in, in the garden, as God said, Jesus came. The seed of the woman, the promised seed, was born on this earth. And Satan, in the temptations of Christ, in the last temptation, says, it is written. And he distorts God's word. And he applies it to something that should not have been applied to. And Satan takes the word of God and distorts it uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. But on all three occasions, the Lord's accurate, pure, clean, true response was, it is written he knew the word of God of course he did he is the word and hopefully we'll get to that at the end as we wrap this up the word of God I just want to say as we're beginning this consideration that as atheists are left without excuse as to the existence of God because of the glory of God in his creation we are left without excuse in consideration of our relationship because of the accuracy the truth the perfection of the word of God as he gives it to us. Second Peter, uh, chapter three, has a exposition of uh, Peter about some of Paul's writings. And he says, um, I, I'm glad Peter says this because I find this to be true in my reading of Paul's letters. He says, uh, according to the wisdom given to Paul, uh, the wisdom he wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them, Things which in some, sorry, things in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Doubting the scriptures, distorting the scriptures, using the scriptures as they ought not to be used, dismantling them and taking only pieces instead of enjoying the whole, the perfection of the whole, uh, leads to destruction. It did for Adam and Eve. They doubted God's word uh, and they found themselves outside of the garden. They found themselves having fallen from the glory of God. Men, in their own strength, tried to restore that relationship, didn't they? Not the relationship, tried to restore their place, their position of glory in the Tower of Babel, as we or Babel. I remember listening to David Woods. I better get my pronunciation right. I'm just going to go with Babel because that's what I say, Dave. If I'm wrong. Hopefully, that's not a distortion of scripture, just a mispronunciation, but I am American, so I'm sure most people on the screen will forgive me. Uh, So, man's attempt at the Tower of Babel was to build for themselves a name, wasn't it? It said they took bricks, and they said, let's burn them thoroughly, as if bake them thoroughly, as if that was to make them last and lasting and strong. They must have seen something of the permanence as they saw it in the creation that God made, and they made their own attempt to build their own bricks, to build their own tower, to build their own name, to put their themselves back in the place that they thought they'd lost. If only they'd come to where David must have been, as a shepherd boy looking up at the stars. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is a standard that is unreachable, and I love the beginning of this song because that's how it describes it to us. The unreachable standard of God's absolute perfection. So I want to look at this psalm and enjoy these two pieces, these two sections. It begins in such a glorious way. The starting place of this psalm is uh, a magnificent exclamation of the truth about God's glory and how God's glory is made plainly evident in his creation. It Im- immediately lifts our eyes Uh, And our minds, it it exalts our thoughts to the limits of the height of space. The heavens, it says, declare the glory of God and our minds are lifted up. And the expanse, what is that? Well, what did David know of the expanse? He must have looked at it and thought that's immeasurable. The expanse declaring his handiwork. And what does science say now of this expanse? That it's immeasurably large. That we're living in a universe that's expanding and its expansion is accelerating and its measure is immeasurable. The heavens declare the glory of our infinite God. So our minds are lifted up to these glorious places to the edges uh, of the expanse of this immeasurably great universe. And then before our minds are overcome with the incomprehensible grandeur uh, of this great contemplation, we're brought back in a sense to earth. Uh, And he says, day to day pours forth speech. So we have this heavenly perspective of the glory of God. And then we have a realization that the glory of God is seen right here under our feet, around us in everything. Day to day pours forth speech. And this is not a limited message. This is a a full pouring out message of, of God's glory saying God has put his mark on every piece of creation. And if mankind were to look for it, they would see the glory of God in everything. Day-to-day pours forth speech, night-to-night reveals knowledge. This is an ongoing, growing thing. And as science continues to dig in and answer questions about the creation of God, every answer to the question of the greatness of the glory of God brings more questions. Don't we have an awesome God who is put in creation The irrefutable proof of his glorious existence. Uh, And as our minds are brought back to earth to enjoy this, only to realize, uh, only to realize that God's glory is inescapable, as we're saying, even on earth, like the sun, as he comes to in this thought, like the sun that governs life on earth, uh, the Creator's fingerprint is here too. Uh, on us Uh, the heat of the sun is inescapable and the glory of God is inescapable and all these things lift our minds uh, to higher and higher places and then the song uh, has a sudden change of theme in verse seven it says the law of the Lord is perfect We come from these thoughts of glory these thoughts of grandeur these thoughts of an overwhelming message being poured out of knowledge being constantly revealed and we come to verse seven and it says the law of the lord the word of god is perfect restoring the soul if verse one is intended to lift our eyes to stretch the limits of our eyes and our minds to the edges of god's creation then verse seven goes higher still this is a step up from the glory of the creation of God. This is the glorious word of God. What a joy. What a a God we have who who shows himself in this way. God's glory uh, in creation shows a standard that cannot be reached. Everybody has to come to that conclusion. If God is perfect, if God set the stars in space and set the sun in motion and the earth and all these things, He is beyond our reach. No amount of bricks baked thoroughly and mortar of tar is going to give us a name that's like his. His is above ours. So God's uh, glory uh, shown in creation shows us a standard that cannot be reached. But God's word, God's law, God's perfect law is the standard by which we are restored. We're brought back into Adam and Eve, lost even more. We're brought back into a relationship that cannot end by the power of the word of God. One shows us a standard that can't be reached. One one shows us the way to be restored with him. God's glory condemns us, doesn't it? God's glory shows us a standard that can't be reached, but God's word converts us. What a joy. What a God. And what a powerful word. I want to just enjoy this contemplation then of the consideration of these two uh, great uh, things, the Word of God. C.H. Spurgeon put it these two great books of God, nature and Scripture. And I just want to look at, at this comparison with you just briefly as we go through Psalm 19. Verse 1 to 6 describe to us the communication of God's glory through His creation. Verse 7 onwards uh, describe to us God's Word in His revelation of himself. This is the revelation of God. One, a communication of the glory of God. The second, the revelation of God himself. The first is a wordless universal message heard in every land, in every language that simply says, God is. Everywhere, the message God is, is proclaimed by the glory of God. Verse seven onwards begins to describe to us a complete revelation. Isn't it a glorious thought, a complete revelation of the indescribable God? The uncontainable God, the God about whom Solomon said, heaven, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. And that was a true statement. Uh, The uncontainable God, uh, bound in the pages of our scriptures, uh, bound in his word as he reveals himself to us. The revelation of God. It immediately, doesn't it? transports your mind to Jesus Christ where we are going to go and finish. But just the thought of the word of God uh, bound in our Bibles is so each one of us so fully enjoy God's word and picking up God's word, or or we should. Maybe today will be a challenge to do that. Um, But that thought, the word of God bound, brings us, doesn't it, to Christ? Uh, To Jesus Christ, who was found as a babe, wrapped bound in swaddling cloths, uh, held in the arms of Mary. God on earth, the word of God made flesh. We're going to come back to that thought, but brothers and sisters, give it thought, enjoy the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ was bound so that we who were bound to our sin could be set free. He was bound, found entirely as man in the body of a man, held in the arms of many people, He was held on a cross and he was contained in a tomb. And on the third day, praise God, was raised again. Um, So we'll continue with this consideration of these two aspects. One, Psalm 19, verse 1 to 6, described to us something temporary. And it's really quite enjoyable to think that the things that God has made here are temporary things. They have literally only billions of years left of lifespan, according to science. But the word of God remains forever. And compared to forever, billions of years is nothing. Uh, Whatever amount of time the creation has, it is a temporary thing. And Psalm 19 compares the temporary to the eternal. It compares the shakeable things, the things that once more will be shaken, those things that will be unshaken to the word of God. I just wanted to go through those few thoughts because it helps me in my mind to appreciate the fullness, the glory of where we're going to. We can look up at the stars and enjoy them uh, and think how amazing God is. But when we pick up his word, it should be more glorious, more revealing, more attractive, more full, more enjoyable and more desirable to us than uh, all the things in nature that god has made so let's look at those uh, few aspects together there are six that we're going to look at in in this passage and it says the law of the lord in my version the law of the lord the testimony of the lord the precepts of the lord the commandment of the lord the fear of the lord and the judgments of the lord and you notice as you read through those six things that they, that they all say of the lord he's the author and he's the source, he's the one from whom all these things come. And if we were to go back to Peter, we must appreciate something true um, about God's revelation of his word to us. And it's in 2 Peter, if I'll turn to it, you beat me probably, but 2 Peter uh, chapter two, sorry, chapter one, verse 20, uh, which says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter for one's own interpretation. And he speaks about the the revelation of the spirit in that. These are things that belong to God. And while the message, the wordless message of the creation, is, is proclaimed everywhere and understood, universally understood as a statement that says God is, the message of the word of the Lord is given to us to be understood by God himself. God needs, doesn't he, to dwell in our hearts and to take his word by the power of the Spirit indwelling each of us and to hold up the word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, and to allow the Spirit of God to interpret those things to us, to show us, to reveal to us the depths of the glory of this word that we hold it so often hold in our hands, but should so constantly appreciate in in their fullness. The law of the Lord is perfect, it says. What does that mean? The word of God is perfect. Uh, we know in English what perfect means, but I've enjoyed just giving thoughts, and I'm sure everyone knows that often this word in in God's word means, means um, complete. I've always enjoyed considering God's word like a gem. It is a, a gem and should be a gem to us. It should be a precious thing, but a thing with facets. A- and there's... Uh, a necessity, isn't there, of seeing the facets uh, aligned correctly. If you imagine even something as simple as a, as a, as a box or uh, some type of container, to take away one of those sides, you would end up with something entirely different, wouldn't you? Or you'd end up with a missing space in it. And the same would be true for gems. To take away a facet of a gem would be to change its shape. And it says the law of the Lord is perfect. It's not something that we have the right to add to, to say God missed something. Because in describing this perfection, not only is it saying it's not lacking anything, it says to us it contains everything. This is the complete word of God. So for us to take away a facet from the gem of the word of God would be for us to change it. And didn't we begin with that thought, that distorting the word of God ends in our destruction this word describes to us by revelation of the holy spirit to us uh, god and what's the effect on us as we go through these six i just want to enjoy these thoughts that not only do we see god's word and a facet of god's word in a particular light we see the effect that it then has on us and the very first one that we have is the law of the lord the word of god is perfect it's complete it's absolute and what's its effect it says uh, it restores the soul, restoring the soul. What a joy. Let's go back one more time to Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 3. The word of God restores the soul. And the thing that was broken, the thing that was lost, uh, needs restoration. Uh, and I've written the wrong verse down. It's First Peter 1, I think. i've learned one thing by now it's not to trust my notes Uh, first peter 1 verse 23 says for you have been you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but uh, imperishable that is through the living and abiding word of god born again through the living abiding word of god that word restoring our soul uh, can mean many things amongst them Uh, a complete transformation. And that's what God does to us with his word. He takes us who are dead in our sin and makes us alive unto God. And how does it happen? It happens through the word of God, not through the eloquence of a message spoken. It happens through the word of God. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is able to restore the soul. And so, in our beginning of an appreciation of the revelation of God in his word, we have to start with that place, don't we? Uh, where our souls need uh, restoring. They need being brought back into the presence of God and God's word, praise God, is able to do that. And it restores us to a place of glory from which we first fell. It's a joy to go through this and realize that the things that were lost and the things that mankind through their own strength has tried to, to obtain and rebuild, God, through his word, accomplishes them for us. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. But there's an ongoing aspect to that restoration of the soul, isn't there? Uh, I'm sure each one of us has felt it at some point, of needing a restoration of our soul. Do you feel that ever? And we sometimes find other ways, don't we? We chase other things to say, I'm feeling low today. I'm feeling... Uh, Like I need restoration. And we find entertainment sometimes or we find someone else's company or we find something that we think might fill that void, might restore us. And there are many things that can restore our flesh. Our meals do that for us. But the word of God is not for our flesh. The word of God is for our inner man. It restores the soul. The thing that's truly in need in life is the soul and that's what God's word is for that's where God's word works is in our soul and from that place it then flows out to the rest of us if you're in need of restoration today brothers or sisters turn to God's word He's, his word is the place of restoration and then we go on to the next of these six which I hope we have time to go through uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I was enjoying looking up some of the words uh, for this psalm uh, in Hebrew, which I found a little difficult. Uh, I'm sure each one of us can probably relate to that. English is difficult enough sometimes. Uh, But that word simple has a root that means open. It means a, a door being opened. And if we imagine the doors of our mind as being opened, I guess you get close to what that description of simple is. But in the world that we live in today, that would not be a description of simple, would it? I'm an open-minded person in today's world, means I'm a person who's willing to listen and I'm I'll accept ideas and accept your truth as your truth and my truth as my truth and to be open-minded. The word of God doesn't allow us to stay in that place. And I'll say it carefully, but I want to say it. Firmly as well, that the things that we're bombarded with constantly day by day and social media is a fantastic example of the foolishness of man's wisdom being portrayed as a a thing that is wise. That's a thought that you can take up in the New Testament and enjoy going through. God's shown us himself and we professing to be wise have searched for other things. And mankind is still doing that. God doesn't want us to be open minded people. God wants us to be wise minded people. And God's word is the filter through which that wisdom is accomplished. And it's a sure word, it's a guaranteed word. You can stand with absolute certainty on the testimonies of the word of God. That word means a witness of the word of God. This is God showing us who he is and who we are. This is God saying, here's what humanity is really like. And humans, we like to say no. We can do it. We can become better. We can make a name for ourselves. We can build something that will last forever if only we were good enough. And we, we jumped over the first part of the psalm and we missed the truth. God's glorious standard is out of our reach. So the law of the Lord, sorry, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple one. Not to do. use Peter too often, but second Peter, just enjoy with me this thought. Peter, and he. This is him revealing, uh, uh, speaking about something that was revealed to him after the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus on the mount uh, was shining. He says in First Peter, sorry, Second Peter, chapter one, verse nineteen. Uh, after that experience on the holy mountain, he says, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We have the prophetic word made more sure. You know, for David, the sure and certain certainty of God's testimonies was absolutely based on the Old Testament scriptures. And Peter says, we have that word made more sure, more sure in Christ. When God describes himself, and shows himself to us as a witness to us of who he is. And it's not up to us to change that perspective. The precepts of the Lord, he says in verse 8, are right, rejoicing the heart. And the precepts could be translated as the doctrines, the truths of God uh, are right, rejoicing the heart. Uh, The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah says, is our strength. Uh, John, in the beginning of his epistle, takes up the thought of full joy, of joy being made complete. When he's writing about the word of God uh, and sharing that with others, uh, that our fellowship would be uh, a thing that brings us together, uh, not just together with each other, but together with Jesus Christ and together with God, a unity of things, a bringing together. And this says that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. If you were to put that word doctrines in there, which I think is an an apt way of using that Hebrew word, it would say the doctrines of God rejoice my heart. When did we last say that to ourselves? God wants us to. He wants us to rejoice in the truths of the doctrine of God. These are things that, that Uh, should excite our hearts and should fill us with joy. Doctrine should never be a subject that's dry to us because it is not dry to God. It's God describing himself in truth to us. And it's a thing that brings us into closer fellowship with him and also with each other, rejoicing the heart. Uh, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Enlightening the eyes The psalmist speaks about the word of God being a light to our God. And this now tells us that the the commandment of the Lord is pure and it gives light to our eyes, it enlightens our eyes. That is uh, in knowing the commands of God, uh, in uh, seeing first the command of God and then knowing the command of God and then in doing the command of God, we find um, that our eyes are enlightened knowing the path that he wants us to walk romans 12 uh, is a just to turn to it's such a well-known portion of scripture every time i quote well-known portions of scripture though i find myself struggling so we'll read it romans 12 verse 1 says i urge you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, when we we come to the commands of God, we sometimes say, I wish I knew the will of God. Do not be conformed, it continues, and says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. To know the will of God, to know the path that God wants us to walk requires us to know the commands of God. And sometimes we know God's commands. We hear what he says. We don't always listen. And God wants us, in order to light our paths and light our eyes, he wants us to listen to his commands and to realize that they are pure. They're clean. They're available for us uh, to, to obey. Romans 12 says, present your bodies living in holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We have commands from God, don't we? Not least, uh, and I say this carefully, brothers and sisters, but not least uh, the command, do this in remembrance of me. And you'll understand why I'm saying this carefully in the age in which we live, the days that we're, we're struggling with. But the remembrance is a command from God, a command that we should present ourselves, in the presence of god as a people in spiritual service of worship so don't be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind there are occasions and we've all experienced them in very recent history very recent uh, days why the remembrance can't be held by a church but it must be taken as a decision with great care because god to enlighten our paths and to show us the way uh, requires us I think to keep his commandments Uh, I'm sure each of us will uh, are longing that those restrictions uh, whenever they're imposed on us would be lifted the fear of the Lord it says in verse 9 is clean enduring forever the fear of the Lord is clean this has to do with worship reverence and, awe, and the word clean to, to do with being uh, seen by all, accessible, uh, and it's enduring forever. Of course, the worship of God will endure forever. Um, of course, the word of God will endure forever. But there's an aspect of our worship that God uh, allows us to find it here that should uh, for us last forever not to go back too often to the remembrance, but the Lord says, do this in remembrance of me. In First Corinthians 11, he says, as often as you proclaim this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our worship, whilst in worship of God will last and go on forever, but our worship, our keeping and remembrance is a temporary thing until he comes. And of course, what a joy to focus on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, but what a what a uh, sobering thought to realize that there is a limited number of times we can do that. Let's, as often as we can, uh, keep that remembrance. and Let's pray, as a people of God, that the things that uh, get in the way of that happening are removed by God's power. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And I realize i am gone on too long and didn't get to the pieces that we need. But please, brothers and sisters, go back and enjoy each of these things. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It's a righteous unit, a unit of righteousness. And that's what God wants us to be like. He wants his judgments to produce in us people who are a unit of righteousness, not two-faced, not double-sided, not sets of standards, not Sunday Christians, people who enjoy the word of God constantly. I can't believe i missed uh, my timing so badly. So just please give me a few more minutes to enjoy going through this. He says, moreover, by them is your servant warned. Thanks, David. Your servant warned. The word of God is a warning to us. It shows us places we shouldn't go, doesn't it? It it says, God doesn't want you on this path. God doesn't want us in this place. The word of God uh, warns us before we make those mistakes. And he sets it there for us. The Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation. Let's make God's Word a thing that's daily on our lips and on our mouths as a warning to us to see where we should go and where we should walk. In keeping of them, the psalmist says, there's great reward. That's in doing them. I'm sure there's an aspect of that, of doing these things that God's commanded us and shown us to do. But the word keep means to guard. It means to hold safe. In keeping of them. This is a requirement to us and go to Paul's words to Timothy and other places, and to realize that God has entrusted to us his word and commands us to keep it, not to distort it, not to do as Satan did, and as uh, Peter says of others have done as well, to distort the word of God to their own destruction. Who can discern his errors? You know there's inside of us uh, things that God wants to highlight and show us that we might be acquitted of hidden faults. The word of God penetrates into the very soul, able to divide between bone and marrow, to get to the root of problems, just as Jesus did with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came with his questions, and God's, Jesus said to him, you must be born again. Sometimes the word of God does things like that to us. We have a question that we want answered, and God says, but you have a problem first that needs to be fixed. Uh, And presumptuous sins, he says, keep us back from presumptuous sins, and I'm sorry for the race through this, I want to get to a finishing point. Keep us back from presumptuous sins, Uh, lest he says let them not rule over me to sin in expectation of the grace of god is to obey sin and to obey sin is to be a slave to sin and to be a slave to sin is to walk in the flesh and not according to the spirit and god does not want us to be people like that if we find that there are sins in our life that are reoccurring we come back to the word of god the word of god restores my soul and then he said, then I shall be blameless. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the psalmist says, be acceptable in your sight, that in our mouths would be the word of God. Isn't that what it's saying? That the things that fill our minds, the commandments that God gave to Israel, he says, put this as frontlets or as a thing between your eyes, as a thing to have on your mind, as a thing that fills your conversation at your dinner table, as a thing that fills your conversation as you walk or as you drive or wherever you go, that the word of God would be a thing that's, exists in your family unit in your mind in you at work and at home in all things I did say we wanted to get to the Lord and uh, and we have to um, if you want to if you want to come face to face with Jesus Christ I don't know I imagine all of us have thought at some point wouldn't it have been great to have been a disciple of the Lord back in when he was alive and to walk with the Lord to hear his voice if we want to come face to face with Jesus Christ to see and to behold and to handle, as John said, the word of life. Then, brothers and sisters, let's handle the word of life. Let's pick it up. Let's enjoy it. He's here for us to see and for him to reveal to us that glory. If you want to see the glory of God uh, more clearly, more clearly than the creation displays it to us, open our eyes to the word of God. Another Psalm, Psalm 119, the big version of Psalm 19, says, um says, Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law. Uh, To open our ears, as the Lord had for his experience. Morning by morning, his ear was open to listen to the word of God. Open our hearts. The psalmist says again in that same psalm, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. To have the word of God in our eyes, in our ears, in our hearts, in our minds, that we might meditate on it. This book that we're each one of us probably holding or have near to us restores the soul. Do you need restoration? Return to the word. It gives wisdom where there is simplicity. It it rejoices the heart. It gives light to the eyes that we might know the path that we ought to walk. Uh, It's lasting and meaningful. The thing that Babel was trying to be or Babel was trying to be for the people of old, God establishes for us that we might have meaning and lasting eternal value to our life. And it is altogether righteous. It's a unit of righteousness that God wants to give to us. John in his, epist- in his gospel says. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt amongst us. And John says we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. And he says. Uh, just a little further on. In John chapter one. He says. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And. Uh, they were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten of, sorry, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten of God, whom is, who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. Jesus Christ, the word spoken in the end, as Hebrews one says, uh, in Hebrews one says, uh, concerning him, that he is the exact representation He's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He holds all things. He's the one in whom God is clearly seen. So uh, we come back to that realization that in finding God in his word, we find Jesus Christ. God's glory shown in Jesus Christ, the exact representation of his nature. God revealed or explained, as John puts it. And then we come to one of my favorite verses, which I will finish with, and I apologize for the time. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, 2, 4, 6. It's so easy to remember. God, who caused light to shine out of the darkness, it says, has caused the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to shine into our hearts in the face of Jesus Christ, in the face of Christ. Brothers and sisters, wouldn't we pick up the word of God to have our souls restored, to have our vision set on things above. If we lift our eyes and our minds to high things like creation, lift them higher. Set our minds on things above where Christ is seated, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ might shine into our hearts.